If you got your Bibles with you, let's turn over to 1 Peter, and we're going to continue this series on All In. Everybody say All In. Everybody say All In. One more time like you mean it. There we go. So uh, we're going to continue this series about All In this fourth week, and I want to start in 1 Peter 2, and we're going to start in verse 4 in the New Living Translation. And so we're going to start here, and it says, You are coming to Christ who is a living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scripture says, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Can I get amen this morning? So if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Be a Builder. Be a Builder. Now look at your neighbor and say, Be a Builder. Now, not Bob the Builder, Be a Builder. And we're going to talk about today building the local church. So we've been talking about All In on Sunday mornings. We've been talking about the vision for this house and for the future. We've been talking about the importance of being all in, being fully committed to God, and being fully committed to your church, what God wants to do. We talked about the move of God. We talked about the vision and the values of this church. We talked about moving forward with what God has called us to be. But I want to share some things about being a builder of what God is building. And I want to talk at first, the first part of this message about some, some um, practical things. And we're going to end uh, with some points I want to give you about some, some ways you can be all in and just practically serve at this church, some things to do. But I want to talk first of, the, first of all about building God's house. Now, I don't know about you, but I like sports. Anybody like sports in here? A few people in here. But my favorite sport is basketball because I'm a real Hoosier come from the Hoosier State. Come on, our, our religion is not Baptist or Catholic. It is basketball. And we serve basketball around here in Indiana. So I love basketball. I love high school basketball, college basketball, street ball, NBA, whatever it is, I like basketball. And so I enjoy basketball. And you know what? I enjoy team sports more than sports that are it's just a single person. Now, now, tennis is okay. Golf is okay. But I like team sports. Anybody like team sports? It's just a lot more fun to watch than just one person out there just trying to do it by themselves. It's not that much fun. It's really exciting when you watch team sports because there's something about team that's really powerful and it's fun because you see yourself in the game. You're like, hey, I might not be the star, but I'm probably that guy on the team, so I know I could be on this team. Or, you know, I, I might not be able to play this position, but I could at least be the kicker on this team. Or, you know, I, I could at least hand out some water to somebody, but I, I could be on this team. And so there's something special about a team. Now, in the words of John Maxwell, John Maxwell is a leadership guy who's written just uh, tons of books about leadership. And John Maxwell always says this, and I love it. He says, teamwork makes the dream work. And how many know that God has given this house and all of us a dream and a vision and a plan from God? And it's going to take more than one person. It's going to take more than a few staff members. It's going to take more than just some leaders and some, some life group leaders and some worship leaders and some kids ministry workers. It's going to take all of us together because teamwork makes the dream work. So teamwork makes the dream work, and there's power in a team. Now, love them or hate them. I know we got a lot of haters in here for certain teams in the NBA, but the Golden State Warriors, you can say what you want about them. They, they stack their team. I know they do. But... The Golden State Warriors are fun to watch, not only because they have a lot of all-stars, or they used to, but because teamwork makes a dream work. And there was a, a, a phrase given several years ago. Now, this year, they're losing horribly because they have no, none of their best players anymore. Uh, several of them are injured, and some of them went to other teams. But when they were in their prime a few years back, they won three different NBA championships, the Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry. Some of you guys know who that is. Now, when they were really in their prime and they were winning, their, their motto or their team phrase was strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. And it was implying that, yes, we have some all-stars. We have a Steph Curry. We have a Kevin Durant on our team. We have some good players. 
but everybody on this team is all in. And everybody on this team is a part of it. And everybody on this team is playing because there's strength and numbers. And there was a thing about the Golden State Warriors that helped them win championship after championship. It was because even if their best players weren't playing, they had such a stacked bench that it didn't matter because they would just pull another player off the bench and there was strength and numbers. And the great teams always have strength and numbers that everybody on the team can play and can be a part of what's going on. And so the Golden State Warriors, they won so many championships, not just because they had all-stars, but because there was strength in numbers. And how many know what that, that's what God is always, always about? He's about strength in numbers. And that's what our church should be like. There is strength in numbers. So, hey, if we got somebody out of the preschool this week, guess what? We got another one coming, and they could fill in, and there's strength in numbers. And you know what? Hey, Amsie can't be here this morning. It's okay. Brother Daryl's going to lead worship. He's got to do a great job. Strength in numbers. Oh, Pastor Jordan can't preach this morning. We got Brother Les. Strength in numbers. And that's the way we want to be as a church. We want to be a team church because teamwork makes the dream work. But it takes a team to build something great. Whether that's in sports or in your family or in your company, whatever you're building, it always takes more than one person or a few people. Now, if you're going to build something great, it takes something great for a whole team to come together and to, to rally together and to be all in to build something Great. Now, today we're talking about the local church, which is the most important thing you could be a part of in your entire life. And it takes a team to build something great. And that's what we've been called to do as a church. We have a vision and a dream that God has put in our hearts, and not just a man-made vision, but a God-given vision, and a vision that's been prophesied by many men and women of God about this church, what we're called to do, be a region-changing church. And to, and to change this region uh, for the better, and, and to do great things for God, but it's, it's going to be more than just me. It's going to be more than a couple of the people on the front row. It's going to take all of us together, all in. Everybody in this sanctuary, everybody in the classrooms this morning, everybody who's not here, who's stayed home this week, but are usually here, they're a part of this too. It's going to take all of us, a team, to build something great. And teamwork makes the dream work. Now, when you're on a team, you have to stop caring about what position you play or what role you play. Because let's just, let's just be honest in here. Let me just throw the facts out to you. None of us are the all-star and the superstar on this team. Jesus is the only all-star player we have on this team. We're all role players. Some of us play defense. Some of us rebound. Some of us shoot three-pointers. Some of us dunk on people. But none of us in here, including myself, we're not the all-star. We're not the superstar of the team. We're all just role players to what Jesus is building on the church. We're just a part of the team, and it's a privilege to just be on the team. The good news is, if you're here today, you got picked. You're not like the kid on the playground who just, it's like, hey, we got uneven numbers. Sorry, dude, you didn't get picked today. No, you got picked. If you're here at church this morning, you got picked. That's the good news. You're on the team. You made it. I know for some of you who never made a team in high school or middle school, this is really important for you. You got the most... Uh, smile, smiley award every year at your awards banquet. It's okay. You actually got picked on this team. It's not just a sympathy pick. We really want you here. And God really wants you to be a part. He's not just like, I feel bad for them. Let's just have them on the team. No, God really wants you to be a part of what he's doing. And so do I. You got picked. But it's going to take a team to build what God wants to build. And teamwork makes the dream work. It takes a team to build something great. Not just one person. Not just a few people. It takes everybody participating in what God is doing. And that's what you do when you go all in. The thing about the plan of God and the move of God in the church is you got to be a participator, not a spectator. The reason why so many people are unhappy at church is because you're not in the game. 
you're not doing anything. Of course you're not happy. But that's your choice. You're sitting on the bench when you could be in the game this whole time. You know what the people that I see with the most joy and fulfillment in life are people that are actually participating, actually doing something for God, involved in their church, doing what God has called them to do, not just sitting on the bench. And that's your choice because God wants you to be a part, and he wants you to be a participator, not a spectator. Something I notice also about that is spectators are the ones who talk the most. They always have the most to say because they're not doing anything. The people you see on social media that talk the most know the least and do the least. The people that are critical of what you're doing for God are not doing anything themselves. But they have time to talk because they're in the stands spectating with some popcorn and a Coke, so they have time to talk because they're not playing in the game. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? And let me say that for our church also. I always notice it's the people that complain the most about church are the ones that don't do anything. Well, you don't have a right to say anything if you don't do anything because it's always the people that don't tithe that complain about the giving offerings. The people that complain about being asked to do ministry helps because they don't do anything at church. The people that complain about another service, or I don't know if the church is going this right direction. You're not doing anything, so you don't have any room to talk. Because the spectators are the ones that talk, not the participators, the one in the game. Because if you're playing in the game, you don't have enough energy to talk and do your job at the same time. You can't be playing defense and rebounding the ball and having a conversation at the same time. You've got to either be in or you're out. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a participator, not a spectator. I want to be in the game and actually building something, not trying to tear something down. Especially not the thing that God is building on the earth. But you know that, trust me, go to a high school basketball game. Go to a middle school boys football game. Experts. They're all experts. Every single one of them. We got Tom Brady in the stands. And really, most of those men shouting at their kids are because they couldn't do anything when they were on their sports team, and they're living vicariously through their children to justify their... Okay. Yeah, when I was in high school, no, you didn't do it. You averaged two points a game when you were in high school, and you're trying to talk like you were Michael Jordan in the stands. No, I think they should have. I think they should have put him in, and he should have scored a three pointer, and they should have ran this play. You don't know what you're talking about. You're a spectator, not a participator. So people in the stands, oh, they love to talk because they're not doing anything. On top of that, they don't know what they're talking about because they're not actually playing the game. It's the people that are actually in the game that know what they're doing, that know what they're talking about, that know where they're going. So I want to challenge you today, church family, let's be participators, not spectators. Hey, you're on the team. You got chosen. You're here today. You got chosen. You made the team. Get off the bench. And get in the game and start participating in what God is doing. And that's different for everybody in here. Some of you are at different levels. But be a part of what he's doing. Stop spectating and start participating because that's where the joy and the fun and the fulfillment is, is being a part of what God is doing. I love this. Pastor Brian Houston said this. He said, I would rather be an artist than an art critic. I'd rather be a chef than a food critic. I'd rather be an athlete than a sports critic. And I'd rather be a church builder than a church critic. It's easy to talk, but what are you doing? What are you making? People love being critical, but what are you doing with your life? That's what makes no sense to me. You know, you got the people that, that go to, to the, the restaurants and they try to talk about the food. And it's like, you don't even know how to cook and you're just judging somebody else's meal. This chef has just been putting in work for years, making millions of dollars, serving awesome meals. And this food critic who can barely make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich 
wants to criticize someone who's actually doing something for somebody else. But how many know it's, it's the same way with every other area of life? Whether that's politics, all people love to talk, the ones that aren't doing anything. In sports, the people that are on the bench, they want to talk. Same with the church. It's easy to talk, but it's different to build. I don't know about you, but I want to build stuff with my life. Does anybody want to build something with their life? Let's not talk about it. Let's be about it. And let's do something with our life. Let's build some families. Let's build some, some churches. Let's build some people. Let's build something for God and build something. Let's not criticize. Let's not talk about it. Let's do something. It's easy to talk, but it's different to put in the work and see the fulfillment of building what God is building. Here's another quote from Pastor Brian Houston. He said, the church isn't built on the gifts and talents of a few, but the sacrifices of many. So this church and any great church on the planet is not built by a couple gifted people who are good at what they do. That's important, but it's the sacrifices of many. Realizing that everybody in here has got a gift, at least one. And God wants to use your gift to build his kingdom and to build his church. And it's going to take sacrifices of all of us together to accomplish the will and plan of God for this church and for this house. It's going to take all of us together to fulfill the prophecies that have been spoken for this church and this house. And you know what? When we get to heaven, we're all going to go together when God holds us responsible for what happens in this church. Now you're saying, well, Pastor Jordan, you're going to get all the credit. No, I'm not. I'm the one that's going to get judged the most. That's what the Bible says. The person who's the leader or the person who's the teacher or the pastor, he's going to get the most judgment, not the church people. But when God looks at church on the rock, he's going to bring us all together and say, what did you do with what I gave you as a church to do? What did you do with the prophecies that I've given to this church to be fulfilled? Who did you reach? Who did you heal? Who did you see delivered? How did you build the church that I gave you responsibility, because it wasn't just your pastor's church, it was your church. And those words that were spoken by men and women of God weren't just for a person or a family, they were for all of us in here. Those prophecies are given to all of us, not just a person. The thing is, when I read over those prophecies, it doesn't say anybody's name. All it says is, this church is going to do this, this, and this. This church is going to affect this, this, and this. This church is going to do this in the region and change this in the region and, and have revival here, and there's going to be a move of God here. It doesn't give a name because it's about all of us. It's about the team, not the individual. And great churches are built on the sacrifices of many, not the gifts and talents of a few. You guys get what I'm saying this morning? So let's go back over to 1 Peter 2 for a minute, and I want to talk about being a builder. Being a builder. Now, I love this because one of the examples given in the Bible for the church, it talks about the church is a building. So he uses the word picture of a building. So Jesus is building his church, not just a physical building, but a spiritual building or a temple or a church, and we get to be a part of it. So it says, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. Now, we're going to stop right there for a second because the cornerstone in building, now they don't do it as much today as they used to, but the cornerstone is the main stone. The cornerstone is the center. The cornerstone is the stone that they base all the other stones' directions off the cornerstone. So if they lay the cornerstone right, then the rest of the building will be right. But if you don't lay the cornerstone right, it won't be right. That's why he says Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the chief stone. He is the, the foundation of the church. He is the center of the church. So Jesus is the cornerstone of this temple that God is building. Notice he was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. But here's the good news. And you are. You. Us. Believers in Jesus, you are also living stones. That God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Let's stop there. So we see that Jesus is the cornerstone. 
He's the foundational stone in what God is building on the earth. But we also are stones. Anybody agree with that? We also are stones. Now, once again, the, the uh, person who wrote 1 Peter and 2 Peter is the same Peter in the Gospels who Jesus said, on this rock stone, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he knows a little something about stones. He knows a little something about building. And he, at an older age, writes First and Second Peter and says that I'm not the only stone that's being used by God. No, Jesus is the cornerstone. But me, Peter, I'm just one of many stones that's building up this spiritual house, which is the church. And we are all a stone in the building. How many know if you uh, walked by or, or drove by a field and it had a bunch of bricks just laying there? You would not think twice about it. You're like, that kind of is trashy. That's not very impressive. But you take those same bricks and you have a master builder and a master architect put all those same bricks that were nothing on the ground and he puts them all in the right place. In the right church. In the right ministry of helps team under the right pastor, and he puts all those stones in the right place, you go by that building later, and it's not just a pile of rocks or rubble. It's a beautiful mansion. It's a beautiful piece of architecture because those stones got into the right place. And that's what he's saying here. Yeah, Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation, but sometimes we like to take our responsibility away from that. Like, yeah, Jesus, he's the rock, he's the cornerstone, but he says, no, you also are stones. And if you are not all in, you're not being a part of the building that he's building. You're just being like a stone that's off in the field by itself. Not very impressive. No one would think twice about it. But it only works when all those stones or all those bricks come together and what do they make up? A beautiful building, a beautiful structure, which is the church he's building on the earth. And we are a part of what he's doing. Each of us have our own part in the building. We're all stones here. But let's go a little bit further here. As the scripture says, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem chosen for great honor. Anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. So we know when Jesus came, he got rejected. And he said he's now become the cornerstone. But listen to this. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Now, let's stop right there. So what he's saying is, and these passages are actually taken from Psalms and Isaiah. He says, right after he talks about, He's the cornerstone. You are living stones. He quotes from Isaiah and Psalms, and he says, the cornerstone, which is Jesus, he's the one that's been rejected, but now God has placed him in a place of honor, and he is the chief cornerstone. But it gives another scripture, and it says, but for those who don't believe or those who are not all in, the stone that was supposed to help them, actually they trip over it now, And it's become a stumbling block to them. Stay with me. And when I read this, God spoke this to me because he said, now that's what people are when they don't go all in with what I'm called them to be. Instead of being a building block, they become a stumbling block to the plan of God in their life. Some of you in here are not being a building block to build this church. You're being a stumbling block so people can't even get into church because they're tripping over you first. And it says, because people don't believe what was supposed to help them and what they were supposed to build their life on has now tripped them up and become a stumbling block to them. So let me ask you this question, and I know you want to be this, but listen to what I'm saying today. When we're not a part of what God is doing, we become a stumbling block to other people, not a building block. That means 
by us not doing anything that we're called to do by God, we're making it harder for people to come into church and to receive what God has for them. By us not playing our part in what God is building, we're having other people trip over us, and they can't even get into church, not because of Jesus, but because of his followers. So we have the choice today to say, am I a stumbling block or a building block? That's your choice, not mine. Because I could be a stumbling block in a field, which is a bunch of other rocks, talking about church, talking about what we should do, talking about Christianity, pastoring themselves at Coffee Crossing. I love those people. And you're just a pile of stumbling blocks over here doing nothing. Insignificant. Or you can choose to be a building block to say, I'm going all in. I'm going all in with God, going all in with my church, going all in with my family. And I'm going to allow God, listen to me, allow God, because he's not going to force you. Allow God to place you as a stone or as a brick in the building as it pleases him. To say, hey, you're called to do this. You should be giving this to church. Stumbling block or building block? No, God, if you say I can do this and I should do this, then I know that there's going to be something good that comes out of it, and I'm going to be a building block. I'm going to be in my place. Or God says, you know what, have you ever thought about joining this team at church to serve because they really need help, and you got a grace on you, but you refuse to help, and you get in your spot? Guess what happens? You get benefit, but the building gets larger, gets greater, gets better, because teamwork makes a dream work. So I want to be a building block, not a stumbling block to people coming to God. But we become a building block in what he wants us to do by saying, I'm going all in. And God, whatever church you want me to be a part of, I'm going to be a part of it. Whatever you want me to do with my life, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stop talking about it, and I'm going to start being a part of it and participating. But I want to be a builder, not a stumbling block. I want to be a church builder, not a church critic. And that's what God has called us to do. Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we have the greatest privilege and honor to build what he's building on the earth. The hope of the world is a local church. The solution to the world's problems is not another politician. That's actually the problems that are being caused in the world. This is another politician. The solution to the world and the answer is the local church. Local churches in every city, in every country, in every region, strong local churches is what changes the world for good. How is Jesus building his church? Well, he's up in heaven. He's only building it through us. He's only doing it through us. I need you to respond a little bit better this morning. He's only touching people through us. He's only healing people through us. He's only delivering people through us. He's building his church through us. Say, so, well, Jesus is building it, but how is he doing it? He's doing it through us, the church, the body of Christ on the earth, because he's in heaven. He is the head, and we are the body, but the hands and feet are in the body. Why isn't the church going here and doing this? Because we're not. <laughs> why aren't we doing this, and why isn't God moving? Because we're not. I've heard a, a preacher say this one time, and I love it. A lot of Christians love no-fault religion. It's easier that way. Not biblical, but it's easier that way. You know what no-fault religion is? Whatever happens in my life, not my fault. God's will. Good or bad, God's will. If I failed, God's will. If I succeed, God's will. If I sinned, God's will. If I'm righteous, God's will. If I'm healed, God's will. If I'm sick, God's will. No fault religion. It's easier to live that way because it takes the responsibility off you. But that's not true, and that's not your Bible. And I'm saying if you want to see results, you got to say, 
I got to take responsibility for my own life, for my own church, and be a part of what God is building on the earth. And the good news is when we move, God moves. And when we reach out our hands to pray for somebody, then his healing power comes. And when we step and walk and share our faith, then the anointing comes to give us the right words. And when we decide to build God's, God's house, he gives us the strength and the anointing and the ability to do it. But we have to do it first and to be a builder. So I want to give you four things before we go today as we wrap this up. Four practical ways that you can start building the church and building God's house. Just four really simple practical ways to go all in and to build God's house. First one is to pray. It's to pray. Tonight we're going to have a prayer meeting. Good time to come. Good time to start. I haven't prayed for my church in years. All right, tonight's your night. We're going, 6 o'clock. But if, if you want to build God's house and be a builder, and not a, not a taker, be a builder, not a critic, you're going to have to pray. It starts in the spirit first. It starts in the spiritual realm first. So we as a church, or just even in your personal life, if you want to make any progress, you got to deal with the issues in the spirit first. So if our church is to fulfill what God has for it, and the prophecies to come to pass the way it's supposed to happen, we have to pray out those prophecies. And we have to have the prayer support to back up the prophecies and the call that God has for us, or it won't happen. I don't care what kind of natural things we do and things we try to do to step this church up and make it excellent. It still won't happen unless there is prayers going forth to birth the move of God because prayer moves the plan of God forward when nothing else will. And we have to pray for our church if we want it to move forward. A praying church is a powerful church. Now, I'm going to give you this verse in a second, but in the book of Acts, it talks about that when the church was growing rapidly, that some of the church leaders were being persecuted, and it says that the king killed one of the church leaders. And then it goes on and it says, he saw that it pleased the people that he killed one of the early church fathers, the early church leaders. So then they put Peter in prison because they're like, well, we're going to take Peter out now. Everybody loved it that we took out one church leader. Let's get another one. How many know that was the enemy trying to stop the church at the beginning stages? But there's this verse that changed everything. You want to hear it? Acts 12 and verse 5. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed. While Peter was in prison, the church prayed. <laughs> While Peter was in prison, the church prayed. And he was going to be killed probably the next day or the next week. But the church decided no more in this house. No more leaders getting taken out. No more years of non-revival. No more years of church and usual. The church got sick and tired of being sick and tired and said, no more on our watch. We got to pray. And you know what? If the church would have prayed earlier, the early church leader would have been saved. But the church was in some stupor. Was confused. Was living like a lot of us do, going through the motions, thinking our prayers don't matter. We're not praying for anything. And then when something bad happens, we're like, oh, yeah, I should have prayed. Yes, you should have because it wouldn't have happened. And then the church woke up. How many know the church has been referred to as the sleeping giant? If the church ever woke up and drank some Holy Ghost Red Bull and some Holy Ghost coffee, the world would be different tomorrow. 
It's not that the world is more powerful. It's not that the enemy has more power. It's because the church is in a stupor and asleep. I'm not just saying this church. I'm saying the church as a whole. But notice what happened. When the church prayed, they said, oh, Peter's in prison. We got to wake up. It says the church prayed earnestly. And if you read the rest of that passage, what happened? God sent an angel into Peter's prison cell. And he was surrounded by guards and chains. And the angel came in and all the chains came off. And he walked out of the prison cell. And he lived to be an older man and wrote First and Second Peter. You wouldn't even have that in your Bible if they wouldn't have prayed. But the church prayed. The church prayed. So if we're going to move this church forward, we're going to have to pray. Pray more than we ever have before. Pray harder than we've ever had before. Pray more earnestly, more passionately, more heartfelt about what God wants to do in this place. Because a praying church is a powerful church. You guys still here? Second thing I want to talk about, if you're going to be a builder of God's house, you're going to need to give. Pastor, I was with you on the pray stuff. But I was with you. I I could pray all day. But when you talk about my money, I'm I'm not going to say nothing on that. You're going to need to give. If we're going to be a builder of God's house, we're going to need to pray, but we're going to need to give. We're going to need to be a generous church, in which you guys already are. But I'm just saying, if we want to build God's house and build his kingdom, we're going to have to give. You know why? I'll give you a lot of reasons why. But let me just give you a few right now. When we give, we're able to do more ministry. Money is to be used for ministry. The more money we have, the more ministry we can do. The less money we have, the less ministry we can do. It's amazing to me, the only people who think funny about money is church people. The world, businesses, entrepreneurs, secular people, they don't think twice about money. But church people think traditionally about money, which keeps them poor, which keeps churches ineffective. Now, whether you know it or not, do you realize a lot of times the world makes fun of churches because usually whatever they do is not as good? Like, the music's never as good. The movies are never as good. Their buildings usually aren't as good. They kind of mock the church. Whether you know that or not, the world does. But why does the world have, a lot of times, better products than the church? Money. That's all it is. They don't got more anointing. They got more money. But that's changing in the church world. I'm just saying not just for this church. I see it all over the world. There are some churches that have some resources and finances, and they're starting to make an impact in the world because whoever has the money has the influence. Whoever has the money has the voice. Whoever has the money has the power to do what they want to do. And the world can't tell them because actually we bought it, so we can do whatever we want to do. We don't owe a bank. We don't owe anybody else. We can do what we want to do because we got the money. And the church should have the money. Not Amazon, not Apple, not Walmart. The church should have the money because we're the ones that has the best product. We're not selling you something that's just going to feed you or clothe you. We're selling you eternal life and not even selling it to you. It's free. The gospel is free. But to get it to places takes money. To print Bibles takes money. To have a sound system takes money. To have a building takes money. To give to missionaries takes money. To feed and clothe people at River City Dream Center takes More money, more ministry. It's common sense. The world doesn't think twice about it. Just church people that have tradition in them. Get uncomfortable. Money. We're talking about money at church. Everybody else talks about money and you have no problem with it. 
the more money we have, more ministry. You're going to give to your church if you want to build your church. And when I say give, if you're a real giver, you're not going to just give to this church. You're going to give to other people too. You're going to be a giver by nature. But we're talking specifically about building God's house. Let's look at Matthew 6 and verse 21 in the New Living. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Notice that. Wherever your treasure is or your money is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If you look at my bank account, it says Natalie, and it says church. And it says, it says bills too, but that's not who has my heart. <laughs> that's a forced offering. Because it's like either you pay your bills or we take your car and your house and anything else. So, But if you look at my checkbook, you look at my bank account, what does it say? It says Natalie and church because that's who has my heart. That's what, it, that's what it says. And recently it says DoorDash a lot, and that's a waste of money. But I'm just <laughs> confessing in front of you guys. But I got to eat, so whatever it takes. But whoever has your money has your heart. It's easy to come to church and say, God, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you. It's easy to sing that. What's your checkbook say? Because that's the truth. This is not the truth. Your bank account's the truth. You ain't playing nobody. This is not the truth. You taking notes at church is not the truth. Your bank account's the truth, who you really love and who really has your heart. And if God has your heart, he has your money. If church has your heart, they have your money. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. You've got to have to give. And the more, the more uh, money we have, the more ministry we can do. You know, I'm believing, and we've done in the past few years, we've taken up over $200,000 extra to pay off our debt now this land we have like 13 acres here and we got two really nice buildings this land uh and these buildings are probably worth over two million dollars and we only owe eight hundred thousand dollars left on this whole thing now once again we've taken in two hundred thousand dollars just in two years so we could do this in the next 10 years easy and I'm believing quicker than that. But I'm just saying, it's that easy. And then we would own all of this. And my heart is, that's the number one priority around here. Yeah, we need to pay for our bills. We're not going to get kicked out of here. We need to, to do certain projects. You know, we, we spend a lot of money on your kids. You're welcome. Um, kids on the Rock gets money all the time. Uh, the Corey gets way too much money for years. <laughs> Maybe because I have a little interest in that. <laughs> We spend a lot of money to make this church a nice church for you guys, for all of us in here. But one of our number one goals is to pay off this debt as soon as possible, and we will not be in debt anymore. We will own all this land, and then we'll just sell these buildings, and we got $2 million. Let's all just go to St. Thomas or something. (laughs) Right? You didn't expect me to say that, but... Church on the Rock, St. Thomas. Two million dollars. We could live on the islands for a while together. Yeah. I think 200 to 250 people with two million dollars. We could make it work for a few years. Some of you might have to do some surf lessons. and so. Half of you are laughing. The other people are like, what is he saying? He's not telling the truth, is he? I've just been in cold weather too long. I need some sun. Anybody get amen on that? So we need to go to Florida or something as a church. So we need to give. And the reality is, when you choose to not tithe and give offerings, you choose to shut the church down. Because we're thinking, a lot of times when we don't give, well, somebody else is going to do it. But what if all of us thought that next week? (laughs) There would be zero dollars coming in. Thinking, well, they got it. 
Oh, this person's got it. No, when we choose to not tithe and give offerings on an ongoing basis, we choose to shut the church down. Because that's what will happen if there's no money. And there's, trust me, there's a lot of churches that close down every month because the church does not tithe. They don't give offerings. They don't. And those same people will say, well, I love the church, and this is my church. But then when it's gone, well, you really didn't love it. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So we give because God has our heart, but also we want to build what he's building. And ministry takes money. We're going to serve. Number three, we're going to serve. If you're going to build God's house, you're going to serve. Now, when I say serve, realize that everyone in here has a gift to do something in the local church. Now, you might have several gifts even outside the church, which a lot of you do, to do something. But you all have at least one gift to do something in God's house. And the more people we have helping, the more we can do. And we plan on being a mega church. We plan on being a mega church. So a mega church is going to take a lot of volunteers, a lot of people serving, everybody being a part. There's no such thing as God calling you to do nothing. Now, let me look in, in from the front to the back. Once again, there's no such thing as God calling you. Well, I just, I'm just not, I don't see anything on that list of ministry helps I'd like to do. There's no such thing <laughs> as a calling to do nothing. There's something that God has called you to do or to be a part of. There's no such thing as called to do nothing. And you know what? We're most like Jesus when we serve other people. Jesus himself said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, if anyone deserved to take a break, was Jesus. If there was anybody in the world, in the Bible, that deserved to say, listen, I'm Jesus, I'm perfect, everyone please come serve me. It would be Jesus, but Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So we're most like Jesus when we serve each other. And we serve in our local church. I'm going to just mention this passage to you real quick. You can write it down in Acts 6, verse 1 through 7. It says that the early church was growing so rapidly, they had an issue. Kind of reminds me of something that would... uh, happened when you're passing out food that said they were passing out food they were clothing people and it says that the church was growing so much that certain people were being neglected not on purpose just because they didn't have enough people serving so they couldn't do as much and so the pastors and the preachers were having to run out of the service and go hand out stuff and help people and do stuff and it says it's not right that the ministers should serve tables, but that they should commit themselves to the word and prayer. Now, don't get it twisted. I've moved more tables and chairs than a lot of you put together, (laughs) mainly because of Brother Joe, but eventually my willing heart kicked in somewhere down the line here. But he said, the pastor and the leader cannot go work the nursery, do the valet, scrub the toilet, and then get up and preach in the same day. He can, but your message is going to stink. Because he should be giving himself to the word and prayer. So there's everybody doing their part is when the church thrives and succeeds. So it goes on in the book of Acts and it says, we will give ourselves to the word and prayer. And he says, find for me seven people that are of good report, that are people of faith, to be involved in this. So he chose seven people, the church leaders, just seven. Now, I know there's at least seven in here right now that could be involved in ministry helps. Could you be the missing link to the future of our church? Could you be the, the building block that's just been laying in a field? We need to get you in the right place in the right time. No joke. 
the early church, seven people got chosen to be a part of what God was doing. Seven men. And it says, after these seven men got involved in the ministry of helps. Let me read the verse for you. It's Acts 6 and verse 7 in the New Living, if we could bring that up. Acts 6 and verse 7. It says, so after they got in the ministry of helps, these seven people joined. So God's message continued to spread, and the believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And many of them were Jewish priests, were converted to. But notice, when seven people started serving in their local church, because their local church has some needs, says that that church started growing and increasing rapidly. Just because seven people got off the bench and got into the game. Started building what God was building. Okay, last thing I want to talk about is... To be a bringer. You guys still here? Sorry, I had to take a few drinks here. You guys got me fired up. You know, if our church is going to grow, sheep begat sheep. People bring people. Now, a lot of times, it's funny, in the church world, we think if we just pray... And don't talk to anybody that God's going to just rain down people. Like they're just going to start shooting through the roof and just fall into the sea. God, thank you. We prayed for that person. No, it doesn't work like that. We pray for people, but then we open up our mouth and talk to people. And we invite people and we bring people. That's the only way the church grows. I think sometimes we could over-spiritualize it and think just if we pray and keep our mouth shut, it's going to change. It's not. Prayer is actually what prepares their heart to hear the message that you're going to talk to them about. Prayer is not a substitute for you not doing the word. And if this church is going to be a region-changing church, and it's going to be all that God's called it to be, it's going to need to grow in people. And that happens when we tell our story and we bring people to church. So... The fourth thing I want to share with you is be a bringer. Four practical ways to be a builder and to go all in. Pray, give, serve, be a bringer. Now, I want to say this. We're still talking family business. All month long we've been talking family business, and I'm about to wrap this up. We've got to be a bringer. We've got to tell our story to people. It's, it's real easy. All you got to do is tell people what God is doing in your life. You don't even got to know a verse. If God is doing anything in your life, you just got to tell them. And you don't even have to bring up church the first time. But if you see an open door, say, yeah, and I got a good church I go to, and do you want to come with me? But God's will and God's plan is that we share our story. We share our faith. That's the way he's going to grow his church. That's the way he's going to build his house is that we share our story. So thinking about being a bringer and telling your story, I'm going to say this because our church has not done a great job at evangelism or telling our story or bringing people to church. And I get it. I'm the pastor. I get it. A lot of you guys want to bring people to church. You're like, I don't know what will happen when they come to church. <laughs> okay, take, take a deep breath. I'm with you. I'm with you. We're all on the same page here. I want to bring people to church, and I get it, and I like it, but I don't know if people will get it. And I want to bring it to church, but I'm just, I... I don't know. Well, let me, let me tell you this as the pastor, and I try to do this the best I, I know how to do, and I can get better at it. Here's my promise to you, okay? We're going to give you a politician's promise here. Um, <laughs> if you vote me in, no, I'm joking. If, uh, here's my promise to you, and I already try to do this. I try to preach messages that whether you've been in Jesus 35 years or 
zero years that you understand what I'm saying. And I feel like I do that most weeks. Don't tell me I don't, because I'll be really discouraged. (laughs) Um, So my goal is that whether you're new or whether you're seasoned in God, you're going to get some out of the message and you're going to understand it. So my promise is to you that we are going to do our best to be an excellent church with our ministry of helps, with our, our music, with the way we do church, with our structure, with the classrooms, with the outside, with the inside, that you feel comfortable to bring your friends. I will say this also. I, I'm going to continue to do my best to preach in a way that new people or seasoned people know what I'm talking about. I don't shoot it over new people's heads. If you bring your friends, I want you to feel like this is a safe place to bring your friends. You hear what I'm saying? Because I, I realize a lot of you have wanted to before. And you're like, I, I don't know. I love it. I get it. But they definitely would not get this. <clears throat> so I don't know. I want it to be a safe place that you can tell your story. You can bring your friends. Because that's the way that God's going to grow the church. A couple more things on that point. I'm just talking out of my heart. This is family business. Um, I, I love this. I heard a, a church leader say this recently. He said, one of the mottos of our church is we want to make it, make it easy to go to church so it's hard for people to go to hell. <laughs> I like that. I'm like, we got to make it easy for people to go to church so it's hard for people to go to hell. Because we want the church to be a place where people feel welcome, people feel loved. You can understand the message. And we're going to try to do our best to do that. Now, on that note... I want to say this, and some of you are going to be shocked, but let me explain what I'm saying. We want to be, you guys are going to just freak out when I say this, and I'm really looking forward to it. (laughs) We're going to be and want to be a seeker-friendly church. Guys, okay? Now, let me explain that to you, because a lot of times we see and hear the term seeker-friendly in a wrong way. There's two ways to look at it. Now, when people are preaching against seeker-friendly churches, this is what they're saying. Let me explain to you. They're saying a church has stopped preaching the gospel. They've stopped preaching the Bible. They take the power of God out of their services, and they preach nothing. They preach fluff so that people can just come to church and clock in and clock out in 45-minute message, and they preach nothing, and no lives are changed. Now, when people talk bad about being seeker-friendly, that's what they're talking about. That's not what I'm saying. But we are going to be a seeker-friendly church, meaning people that are seeking God, we should be friendly to. Agreement? Yes or no? Like people that are trying to figure out their faith, they can come to this church and they feel like uh, people are nice here and uh, I can learn something here. And we can be aware of new people and guests Not that we're catering to them, that we have to drop our message down, but also the same way if you had guests at your house, you would treat them differently because they're your guests. You would try to maybe explain things a little bit better because they're your guests in your house. You wouldn't change what you believe as as a family. You wouldn't change your values and, and what's important to you, but if you had a guest in the house, you might change the way you talked a little bit just so they would get it. That's what I'm talking about. So <clears throat> we want to be a seeker-friendly church. Not in that extreme. That's not what I'm talking about. But people seeking God can get it. People seeking God, it's a friendly place. And I want to remind you of this. Such were some of you. All of us, actually. There was all a time in our lives that we were seeking God, and somebody was friendly to us, and somebody reached out with the love of God, and somebody made some sense sometime in our life that we actually received from God. That's all I'm saying. But that's the kind of church we want to be as a church. And uh, we want it to be a place where you can bring friends, share your story, and to see our church grow. Not just for people's sake and so we can have more numbers, because people matter. 
and your friends matter, and your coworkers matter, and people in your life matter, and I know you want them to receive the same God that you have received and experience that same life, and I do too, so we need to share our story and to be a bringer. So that was my message for today. Appreciate you guys listening to me. So we're going to pray, we're going to give, we're going to serve, we're going to be a bringer. Can we stand up for a moment together?